0: OK, ladies and gentlemen, let me, uh, uh, let me interrupt. You're welcome to please uh, help yourself for the coffee and refreshments. We, but we do want to begin. Uh, we're very fortunate this afternoon that John Danilovich has been able to join us for this ongoing series that we have that we put the label Smart Power. Uh, let me just first say welcome to John. I uh, We've had a number of occasions when we've been lucky to have Ambassador Danilovic join us here at CSIS, and I'm very pleased that he can come today. In previous instances, he's always been here in conjunction with a specific partner country announcement and a celebration. We had a fabulous celebration, I think, when Ghana was, President of Ghana was here. John, you kicked that off that day. It was just just absolutely wonderful. But this is a little different today. We're going to step back uh, today, and it's not going to be about a specific Initiative by MCC, but about the very idea of the MCC. Let me just say a word about uh, this series. This is, as we call our Smart Power series. And this was an effort to say that, you know, America's standing on the world stage uh, maybe became somewhat clouded by the events of 9 11 and the way we reacted as a country and that we need to restore America's inspirational qualities uh, as a world leader. But I I wanted very much to have John come because I I hear from a lot of my friends that uh, the smart power program was really a criticism of the Bush administration, and I really needed to correct that. Uh, John Danilovich, heading up the Millennium Challenge Corporation, this is one of the most important initiatives of the Bush administration. And if you were to go back to the national security strategy that was developed back in September of 2003, that was an incredible blueprint on how America needed to be engaged in the world going forward. Now, everybody remembers the two paragraphs in that document about the preemption doctrine nobody looked at the two chapters that talked about getting at the root causes of terrorism and the need to create institutions that brought hope and opportunity around the world. And that's what you guys have done at MCC. Uh, This has been a remarkable success story. And uh, it it was a little slow in coming. uh, John and I were just talking briefly before we walked in. There was a recent press Report, I think in the Times, New York Times or someplace, it was critical about MCC being slow. Well you could have said that four years ago, but you can't say that now. I mean this has a, been a tremendous amount of success. The energy and the dynamism that we've seen over the last four years, really since Ambassador Danil- Danilovich has been in the job, has been remarkable. And it is a sign on how we're transforming the landscape through this work. Now the president is heading to Africa next week and in no small measure it is to celebrate the successes that the Millennium Challenge Corporation has registered. And so I think it's important for us to step back and to say, you know, America should and can be a smart power and there are important ways right now where we are being a smart power and we're going to hear about that today. So Uh, Just for all of you, you don't need this introduction about John. John is a businessman by training. He was in the shipping business for, I think, nearly 25 years, came into government recently. He joined the Bush administration first as our ambassador to Costa Rica and then became our ambassador to Brazil. Uh, And then four years ago became the head of the Millennium Challenge Corporation, helped create. this dynamic new culture, which I think history is going to say this is one of the great accomplishments of these last eight years. So John, welcome. We're delighted you're here. Please lead us here in this
1: conversation. Thank you. Thank you.
2: (laughs) I turn this on, do I? Right.
3: Click it off. Thank you very much, John, for that very nice introduction and for organizing this tremendous Smart Power series. I've read the Commission's thoughtful and insightful report, and I'm very happy and welcome the opportunity to be able to join in in the discussion and share with you a few few thoughts on how the Millennium Challenge Corporation fits into the Smart Power approach to expanding America's global engagement. At a time when America's leadership is being challenged around the world, The Millennium Challenge Corporation provides a great opportunity to showcase the best of America's values and the generosity of the American people. Indeed, America's engagement worldwide through the work of the Millennium Challenge Corporation is positive and powerful, and I've seen it in many places with my own eyes. It's smart that girls receive an education in 132 newly constructed girl-friendly schools throughout Burkina Faso, financed by the MCC and I can assure you they're a joy to behold. It's smart that women are no longer treated as legal minors in Lesotho and can finally participate in the life of their country and contribute to the success of Lesotho's $363 million compact with the MCC. It's smart that farmers in Madagascar and Honduras are using the training they have received through MCC compact programs to diversify the higher-profit crops that will raise their household incomes and improve their quality of life. It's smart that infrastructure projects are underway in partner countries in Africa to, re- to rehabilitate ports, roads, bridges, and airport, and to help farmers get their crops to market, to help the poor have better access to schools and to health clinics. In these ways, the MCC is inspiring hope and optimism for a better life in some of the poorest and most challenging places in the world. We are making investments to help citizens replace poverty with prosperity, to replace impossibilities with possibilities. And our American efforts, made by the MCC, are acknowledged and much appreciated. The President and Congress, with strong bipartisan support, partnered in 2004 to establish the Millennium Challenge Corporation as a new tool in the already generous toolbox of America's development assistance. MCC's mission is to reduce poverty through sustained economic growth. And we do this among the world's poorest countries that are ruling justly, fighting corruption, investing in the health and education of their citizens, and promoting economic freedom. MCC partner countries are committed to practicing sound policies, to building their capacity to lead their own development, and to delivering results in the lives of the poor. We have 16 compacts in Africa, Central America, Eurasia, and the Pacific, totaling $5.5 billion. Our 16th compact with Tanzania will be signed in that country by President Bush and President later this month for almost $700 million. We also have approved smaller threshold programs with countries worldwide to improve their performance on our eligibility criteria and eventually to qualify for a compact. The manner in which the MCC delivers development assistance is an effective tactic in our country's overall smart power strategy for global engagement. And I was pleased to read several several MCC mentions recognizing this reality. In, in the MC's, in the Commission's report. Let me highlight three ways the MCC contributes to smart power by using smart aid. First, MCC contributes to smart power by changing the expectations of development assistance. MCC, MCC assistance is a reward for countries that are already practicing sound policies. With the data supplied by such international organizations as the World Bank, the World Health Organization, UNESCO, I, and IMF, We assess each country's performance on 17 political, economic, and social indicators. MCC approaches development more like an investor than a traditional donor. We partner with countries that want to leverage MCC assistance to further their own commitment to reduce poverty and stimulate growth, not as a substitute for it. And as an investor, we demand results from our investment. We see countries take on the incredible work of policy reforms to qualify for for our assistance and then to maintain that eligibility. Our model has become a powerful incentive for, for reform, what is often referred to as the MCC effect. We see this MCC incentive effect in Madagascar, our first official partner, which slashed the amount of time it takes to start a business from 76 days to one week and reduced the minimum capital requirement for new businesses by 80%. The impact has been tremendous. Madagascar has seen a 26% increase in the rate of new business registrations, bringing 200 additional firms into the formal economy where they can assist credit and grow to their full potential. We see the MCC effect in Benin, another compact partner, which initiated sweeping reforms against corruption throughout several government ministries. In Lesotho, the prospect of an MCC compact prompted the government to pass landmark legislation allowing women for the first time in that country's history, the right to own property and the right to enter into binding contracts. We see the MCC effect taking hold in countries that have never received an MCC grant. In Guatemala, for example, local media outlets publish the MCC scorecard in their newspapers to place pressure on their government. Civil society organizations ask presidential candidates to weigh in on what they would do to ensure that their country eventually becomes MCC eligible. And other countries that do not yet qualify for an MCC grant have created presidential commissions and interministerial committees to monitor and implement reforms that will improve their MCC indicator performance. We see MCC promote democracy and economic development by linking aid to a country's commitment to open markets, tying aid to how a country governs and to the civil and political liberties enjoyed by its citizens, and connecting aid to a country's willingness to fight corruption and free people governed by the rule of law with access to opportunity make good, stable neighbors. While a number of factors contribute to this, the MCC effect is an undeniable part of that equation. MCC's approach reinforces ties with nations committed to sound policy performance. One way we do this is by inviting representatives from our compact eligible countries to Washington and hosting them for a week of intense learning, workshop, and peer-to-peer exchanges in something we call the MCC University. This creates a stronger camaraderie among countries that value stability and security and that are working to mitigate the threats threats to international peace, including the menace of extremism. Second, the MCC contributes to smart power by empowering capacity building within partner countries. We partner with countries not only practicing sound policies, but also policies that lead to their development. Nearly 60 years of development experience has taught us that partnership—that a partnership of equals built on an equal will to make progress is far stronger than a donor-recipient relationship based on dependence. Co-chairs Richard Armitage and Joseph Nye understand this reality and state in the Commission's Smart Power report that helping other nations and individuals achieve their aspirations is the best way to strengthen America's reputation abroad. MCC agrees with that. MCC cannot help a country succeed more than the country itself wants to succeed. Our approach is grounded in countries, not the MCC, driving development. That is why we ask countries to consult extensively with their citizens and determine their own priorities for poverty reduction and economic growth. That is why we ask countries to develop their own proposal for funding to address these development priorities. Once their proposals are approved by the MCC, we ask the countries take charge of implementing their own programs and coordinating them with other donors already in the field to build synergies and avoid costly and duplications. And that is why we ask countries to evaluate progress and monitor impact to make sure that the intended results are delivered. By raising expectations and placing responsibility and accountability on the shoulders of our partners, MCC is helping countries help themselves. For example, one of the obstacles to successful development in Ghana has been the lack of adequately trained procurement specialists. MCC is funding a procurement capacity building initiative designed to strengthen the effectiveness of procurement entities to help Ghana help itself overcome this particular barrier to development. Now the training of procurement professionals across the country is underway. Moreover, Ghana hosted a conference with our other African eligible countries for MCC funding to share experiences and lessons learned in developing and implementing compacts. There is much pride in owning the process, navigating through the challenges of compact development and implementation, and in the end, celebrating the successes as the fruits of their own labors and not MCC's efforts. A Gallup survey of MCC partner countries found that 86% of respondents feel that MCC fits in well with their country's overall development strategy. 81% believe that MCC's approach to country ownership will achieve their country's specific development objectives. Moreover, compared to other donors, partner countries report that MCC provides more oversight, that MCC provides more help to move towards sustainability, and that MCC does a better job with building country capacity. These findings are further proof of how MCC's approach generates a positive impression in the national psyche of our partners and cements friendships around the world. Third, the MCC contributes to smart power by paving the way for increased private enterprise. Insisting on good policies and insisting that countries build their capacity to do more for themselves creates conditions where, ultimately, the private sector can flourish. Private enterprise is the true engine of economic growth. And the only way countries can effectively combat poverty is not to depend on development assistance, but to use it to promote a thriving private sector. MCC grants to development countries are designed to do just that and to be transitional and to pave the way to private investment. We help create stronger economies so that entrepreneurs and businesses of all sizes can have new markets to invest in, conduct commerce through, and to trade with. The Indonesian finance minister describes MCC support as a good housekeeping seal of approval, which sends a powerful signal to the private sector that conditions in MCC countries are improving and are better for investing and doing business than in other countries within the same income category. We see this among our Central American partner countries in El Salvador, in Honduras, and in Nicaragua, who are not only MCC eligible, but also partners in trade through CAFTA. They are leveraging their compacts to improve their their business climates, attract private investment, and building trade capacity that maximizes the benefits of existing free trade agreements. In these three ways, the Millennium Challenge Corporation delivers smart aid to poor poor countries determined to use it wisely. Using MCC investments to motivate countries to further their own policy performance, to build their own capacity, and to stimulate trade and private sector activities for their own benefit is smart and is working. We see this as countries work to make difficult policy reforms, not only to qualify for MCC assistance, but also because such reforms are the right thing to do and the surest way to promote economic development and private enterprise. Partner countries are fully leveraging MCC assistance to improve the lives of their poorest citizens through their own solutions and with their own determination. The Commission's report concludes that it is against our economic and security interests to contribute to or ignore poverty and desperation around the world. It is rather in our interest to reduce poverty, often seen as a breeding ground for despair, hopelessness, resentment, and terrorism that could endanger our country and require the defense of our democratic ideals. Countering poverty where it exists counters the perils of poverty from reaching our shores. MCC will continue to fight poverty through sustained economic growth. And I want to thank all of you today for coming here to listen to what I have to say about the MCC and I very much look forward to your questions. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Join me here if you would. I'm, I'm Rick Barden, the uh, co-director of the Post-Conflict Reconstruction Project and a member of the commission. We're going to have a, a conversation. We have plenty of time for your questions and comments. And uh, what we'll do is I, I'll just start off with uh, the first, and then we'll just turn to the audience uh, and engage you as quickly as possible. But clearly, one of the major themes of your of your presentation, and really of your work, is is of reform. It's of reform of our own system of of of, of working assistance to the to the rest of the world, and of reform within the countries so that they can qualify and continue to uh, be candidates for for the assistance. And so I think you, you've obviously becoming, have become something of an expert on, on that issue. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how we can, we can reform our own system uh, to get a little bit more coherence within what is perhaps a confusing uh, mix of institutions and, and approaches that we have, in, including the Defense Department getting into this in a bigger way than it has, uh, on the one hand. And then maybe speak to sort of the energy for reform within these countries that you see prior to the compacts and that you see after. And how did we get that sort of virtuous cycle right. working as well? So I, I guess the question is one of, of virtuous cycles. Right. How do we get a virtuous cycle in Washington <laughs> and, and one overseas? And have you learned from either of those arenas lessons that you could perhaps bring, right. because I'm sure something that you've seen in Morocco, we could do better here in right. Washington uh, as well. Virtue is a very difficult subject. I mean, <laughs> theologians
3: <laughs> have been talking about virtue for thousands of years, Plato, Aristotle, <laughs> everyone. Uh, it's always easier to talk about other people's problems and define find solutions for them, rather than as our own problems and solutions. In a way, though, it's, it's easier to start with talking about the MCC incentivization effect in the countries in which we're operating and in those countries which eventually aspire to become MCC countries. The MCC incentive effect that I referred to, this sort of reform effort that countries have undertaken, is a result of the fact that we have a scorecard, a report card, which has now 17 indicators in political, economic, and social categories. We call those ruling justly, investing in people and economic freedom. And they measure such things as political rights and civil liberties and immunization rates and education and corruption uh, are hard indicator. Uh, and we ask the countries uh, perform above the median on these indicators to become eligible for MCC grants. Uh, and some of them, for many of them, it's a real struggle to do so. There are some indicators which are somewhat easier than others. For example, I mentioned the days to start a business and the cost to start a business. Those usually can be relatively impacted by regulatory reforms or, or legislation. Uh, other things. In Lesotho, for example, the fact that women now have the right to own property in their own name—that don't need, they no longer need a man's signature—require not only a legislative, but a constitutional change and a sort of significant cultural change. This is something that had not existed in Lesotho. But we're finding that in Morocco and all of our countries, countries are passing legislation that they heretofore would not have done to become MCC eligible. It's the carrot and the stick. It's we have a lot of money and we're willing to. Give you that money in the form of a grant, not a loan, if you have a good government. And these 17 indicators are all about good government and the reforms are all about having good governments with good governance, with better reforms, moving in the right direction. Countries must pass these indicators to become eligible to submit a proposal. They must also pass it again by the time we actually sign an agreement with them and they must also pass it at the end of the fifth year, which is the usual length of our compacts, to become eligible for a second consecutive compact, which is what they all want. In the interim period, they are monitored and evaluated and assessed on an annual basis. And if there are policy weaknesses, we enter into a reform effort, a policy reform effort, with these countries to get them back up above the median in performance. Uh, And this is really a wonderful thing. Uh, These reform efforts, their inclusion in the MCC, does act as a good housekeeping seal of approval. Uh, which means something. It means they're a good government. It's an attraction for foreign direct investment because international companies know that countries have made an effort to reform their systems, to make them a more stable, a more peaceful, a more predictable, a more economically viable country than they were previously, since they are part of the MCC family. The US government has tried with really great effort and tremendous will uh, to try and bring coherency to its Uh, overall development assistance program and actually great strides have been made in this administration to move in that direction Uh, both with uh, Mr. Tobias and now with Henrietta Ford as the head of USAID and also as part of the State Department effort they have tried uh, at the very least to include data and information from all other development assistance programs such as ours and others so that they could have a coherent picture of actually how much money was being spent in countries throughout the world and who was spending that money. Uh, the DOD is obviously a significant player in that as well. I've met with the DOD, I know there have been concerted efforts in, on an interagency basis to try and bring coordination uh, to our overall development assistance programs. I meet regularly with Mark Dybel of PEPFAR and with Rob Mossbacker of OPIC and with Henrietta Four of USAID, occasionally with DOD, occasionally with other uh, government departments to make them fully aware of what we are doing. And what we are doing is very transparent. Our compact agreements are on the web. It's very clear what we're, where we're working, what the breakdown of our money is. Uh, so we are completely transparent. It seems absolutely necessary to me that as this administration goes forward and the next administration, whether it be a Democratic administration or a Republican administration, that this effort to bring coordination and coherency to our overall development assistance is absolutely necessary. It's more efficient, it's more productive, it'll produce the results that are necessary. Uh, Not that it all has to become like the MCC, because that isn't desirable either. The MCC is an extremely, I think, at this point, after four years, viable and useful form of American development assistance. But it isn't the only answer. The idea is to coordinate all the answers into a greater and more coherent package.
2: Just one, uh, one quick follow-up question on that. Uh, you made clear that indicators and ince- incentives mm. backed by indicators are a pretty good way to make it clear to people and transparent to people what's expected of them. What would be your favorite three indicators for incentivizing the Washington reform uh, mm. that you're that you, uh, are speaking to? Well, I, I think. It, 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 you know, it, it,
3: if if you mean uh, what MCC indicators I think should be used by the U.S. government as standards, mm, not
2: not necessarily. Used. I would take right. your personal list as, as much as the uh, MCC list. Although there, if there's some good ones, anti-corruption ones, well, and all. I think I think that well, <laughs> certainly
3: the two certainly the two that I would choose of the MCC indicators, and some of them are combination indicators. We have a corruption indicator, and I really feel that that's the bedrock. certainly of the MCC and should be considered a very important form of other forms of assistance. Corruption is a killer. It kills development assistance. It it renders it weak and and reduces the impact that it will have. That's why it's our one hard indicator. They must pass the other categories by 50%. Certainly corruption, certainly democracy, and there are a couple of MCC indicators that are, let's call them democracy indicators in general. I think democracy is important. And uh, of course, tied into that is civil liberties and rights. Mm -hmm. And then in the the social, I'm a big believer in education. And uh, although education is not uh, a field in which there are immediate discernible economic rates of return, they're harder to assess, and the MCC works very much on economic rates of return, getting a result for your money. As I said, we work as an investor, so to speak. How much money are we getting, so to speak, how much money are we getting back from our investment? What's the result of our investment? Education takes longer. But there again, Education is also
2: a core, core uh, ingredient to development assistance. Do you, think, do you think there are enough incentives in Washington to push the existing organizations to have the kind of coherence that you would like to see come out of Washington? I think, I think in general, we feel, I think in general, it's felt that we could do more if we did it together,
3: and if we cooperated together on getting our programs established in a coherent way. There's no, there's no joy in doing things recklessly or in a way which doesn't actually benefit the American taxpayer for the good use of their money, for the efficient use of their money. And I think everyone understands that if there was a way, if there was a mechanism, if there were channels, if there was a structure to make more coherent and therefore more effective and more dynamic and more results-oriented, our assistance people would welcome that opportunity. It's just the structure for that
2: doesn't exist now. Let's come back to that. I see that there's a member of your guild here, Ambassador Beecroft, uh, uh, with a first question. If you could wait for the microphone to come to you, because we do try to uh, broadcast this, and we have a video as well that's on our website, and I hope uh, that you will let others know about it. Well, I hope
4: I don't offend the camera. (laughs) Um, My name is Robert Beecroft. Uh, I was with the State Department for 36 years, Um, retired in the summer of 2006, and I'm now vice president at MPRI Strategic Group. Um, first of all, I agree with you, sir. This is a, uh, a smart thing to do. But I've lived through five transitions uh, from one president to another, uh, sometimes within the same party, sometimes not. And I, this government has a tendency to go brain dead between administrations. And you're the, the corporation is new. And I'm not sure it's totally established itself. Maybe it has. Uh, on the Hill. How do you propose strategically to ensure that the Millennium Challenge gets through this period of major transition and continues to play its role in whatever the next administration may be? Thank you.
3: Thanks. Thank you for asking the question. I must tell you um, I've been head of the MCC now for just over two years and the organization is just four years old. And when I Started when I came up from Brazil and, and started with the MCC in November of 2005, I wasn't altogether sure if we could make it work, and if we, if we I was certainly hopeful we could get to where we are today, but I wasn't altogether confident. About a year ago, I really became confident that we could get to where we are today, and we could stop choking on this. It's a great concept thing, and move it on to being a great reality. I am absolutely convinced, and I said this at our fourth anniversary celebration up on the hill last week, that we are now a great reality with our 16 compacts, with our 18 threshold programs, with the results now being clearly shown in the field. We are there. We have an established corpus of work. Implementation is going forward. It's going forward uh, pr- strongly and impressively. The results are there to trumpet. Thank goodness. You know, you never know when you have a program if it's going to work or not work. We say we're planning to do this and this and this, and this will happen. Well, what we thought would happen is now happening and it's great to be able to say that. Up on the Hill, uh, last week when we had our four, it was a bit brave to have your fourth anniversary up on the Hill in the first place. And we uh, did so in the hope that we were worried that people wouldn't turn up and we, even to make compound our fear, we were in the Senate caucus room, which is this huge enormous room with Corinthian columns and it's gigantic. And we thought, this is going to be terrible. We'll have to bus in school kids from Delaware or something to make it bigger. (laughs) And in fact, we had standing room only. The room was packed. Nita Lowy, who was extremely important for us, Congresswoman from New York, came and spoke, as did uh, Congressman Joe Nolenberg. A few senators were there. Many members of our board were there. And it gave me an opportunity to say, this is the state of the union, if I can put it that way. This is the state of the MCC at four. And it's good and sound and solid. And we have every reason to believe uh, that it's going to continue. The feedback I have on the Hill, and have had now, leaving aside the Senate appropriation and where our appropriation has all been very positive about the continuation of the organization, uh, whether conversations certainly with, with Congresswoman Lowy, Chair, Chairwoman Lowy, as well as with uh, Speaker Pelosi, as well as with Senator Clinton, uh, as well as with others on the Hill, and as well as the Democratic hierarchy at large, if I can call it that, in Washington, I didn't say the government in waiting, I said the Democratic hierarchy (laughs) at large, uh, also are very supportive of the MCC. And we involve a number of them in our discussions. They come around to the office. They have input in our organization. So whether it is a Republican administration come January or a Democratic administration, I believe the MCC will continue. I mean, every or any administration will change it somewhat. But you can't change it too much without really destroying what it's all about. So the whole thing of foreign aid with accountability, foreign aid with accountability, uh, I think is there to stay. Uh, The the reality is firmly lodged in congressional language. Uh, So I do think it will continue.
2: This gentleman here. Um, And please uh, identify yourself uh, when the microphone gets to you, and hopefully it will work.
5: Good afternoon. My name is Shalau Molly, I'm with Chevron. Ambassador, thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, I believe it was late last week I had the opportunity of listening to you at the Africa Society event. Yes. And I think you characterize the quantum of support coming out of MCC to Africa uh, as much as 60% of what you're doing currently. Se- 70%. 70%, <laughs> good. Um, and it's the, the thrust of your program is reform based. Yes. You've got to reform to be able to qualify. And it seems to me that your rate of return is pretty good because your marketing MCC around is pretty good. And I think I just heard you say that you don't think this ought to be adopted across the board. I seem to think that in the grand scheme of things, the quantum of money available to MCC is not gonna be very much in the grand scheme of things. So why would you not allow this or sort of argue for this to be what obtains across the board if in fact reform is actually taking place in those countries because that's what we really want isn't it? Very good point. There are many
3: needs and necessities and the needs far outstrip the ability to take care of those needs. Whether it's catastrophic or humanitarian or things catastrophic if there are earthquakes and tsunamis, humanitarian aid which have nothing actually to do with, well, are only indirectly connected with the reduction of poverty through sustained economic growth. Our mandate as defined to reduce poverty through economic growth is different than the way things have been done and results-oriented and is working. If we continue to be able to produce results with our programs, not only in two streams, one is the reform stream, the good government reform stream, and the implementation project stream, and those continue to be, as they are now proving to be, positive, then I think there is certainly scope to include them in other programs. And certainly the three things that I mentioned earlier, corruption, democracy, and education, I think those are certainly key for development. Uh, But there are other ways and means, depending upon uh, necessities, that wouldn't necessarily come under an MCC umbrella.
2: Yes, right here in the middle. Yes.
5: Hi, my name is Kelsey Stoddiker from the International Fund for Agricultural Development. And you mentioned that um, the Congress was working with MCC. um, But I was just wondering if you could maybe comment on why the amount that the government, I mean that the President wanted appropriated to MCC was not fully funded according to the um, budget for this year.
3: Right. We, uh, from Chairwoman Lowy in the House, we had a figure which was slightly more than last year. Uh, was a modest increase, so it had a plus sign in front of it. The Senate, uh, unfortunately, cut into that figure fairly significantly uh, for a number of reasons, uh, perhaps. Uh, we don't know exactly the reason, but, you know, there's a lot of budgetary constraints on the Hill at any time, let alone because of Iraq, let alone because of other needs of the U.S. government. Also particularly at this time, at the end of an administration, uh, I think it's a matter of, well, let's see how things are going forward, let's see how things move, we will keep the organization moving forward. We will fund it sufficiently, not necessarily fully, but we'll fund it sufficiently to deal with those countries that it has in its pipeline. For example, this year we have three more countries that we will be able to deal with in the financial year 2008. One I mentioned, which is Tanzania, which will be signed later this month. Two other countries, which by coincidence happen to be in Africa, Burkina, and Namibia. And that will uh, deal with our budget for FY08. Uh, Our FY09 request, which went up to the Hill today, uh, was for $2.225 billion, And we have a strong uh, pipeline which will uh, be able to use that amount of money as well if it's fully funded. So we intend to uh, make a very strong case to Congress, to the House and to the Senate, for that full funding. Uh, it's, a, it's a very unfortunate situation to be in when the countries have made, over a period of time, really very, very difficult decisions with regards to reforms, changing their regulations, changing their laws, changing their constitution, to become eligible for the MCC, Uh, it's not an easy process. This is a tough program. It's not a giveaway program. It's not a handout. It's a hand up to countries that are willing to do what our MCC requires them to do. It puts us in a very difficult position, not only the MCC, but frankly, I think the US government, if we have incentivized these countries to make these important reforms. And then we say, well, thanks for the memories. Thanks for the effort. But we don't have the money to deal with you this year. I hope we will next year. When they're ready, they're ready, and I think we should engage with them after they've made the big effort they have made to become MCC eligible.
2: Yes, sir, right here in the middle. I'm Don
6: Kirsch from
2: Institute for Defense Analysis. Uh, hey, Don, I'm one involved, retired Foreign Service Officer.
6: I would ask what kind of uh, relationships have you been able to develop with other donors, both bilateral donors and multilateral donors how much has your approach been able to influence them, and in the criteria you use? And a small question on possible relationships with the new African Command, Africom, which gives yes. your heavy influence, uh, or your yep. heavy attention to Africa. How do you see that? Uh, how do you see that playing out?
3: We are uh, aggressively pursuing, if that's the right way to put it, uh, agreements with other donor organizations, whether they be in the private sector. Uh, such as Gates, such as Rockefeller, philanthropic organizations, etc. We, uh, last week, sent over a uh, suggestion to DFID, the UK equivalent of development assistance, uh, and I spoke with their minister on Friday with regards to a meeting that our people will be having with them on the 8th of February to be followed up by a meeting by myself and others on the 18th of February in London. We hope the result of that meeting will actually be a concrete agreement to, con- to, to cooperate with them in specific countries on specific projects. Uh, some of that might be in Africa, some of it might be in Central America, remains to be seen, but we have had preliminary meetings with them in London and in Washington, now to be followed up by the sequence I've just given you, hopefully with the, with an agreement, at the very least an MOU, on the 18th of February. We already have a memorandum of understanding with Microsoft, uh, and I'm going to be in Morocco next week, and we hope that there may be the possibility of actually uh, having a project at that time. We are working with AGRA, the Green Revolution, uh, with regards to agricultural development, probably in Western Africa, simply because we have four countries in in Western Africa that would lend itself to Green Revolution work. Uh, We have had, as I mentioned, a number of meetings with the Gates Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation about working together. A number of countries have come to see us at various levels with regards to What is this new foreign aid with accountability? How are you getting results from these countries by imposing certain reform standards? Because usually, for example, the Europeans don't do that. They do budget support. The MCC doesn't do budget support because you can't trace your money. You put your money into a common pot for education, and hopefully they have good education programs, and you can take credit for it. We would like to see the actual results for our specific amount of money in those specific countries, and hopefully to take specific credit for it. But to know that the work that these countries had carved out, it's their proposals, the work that they had carved out and that we had uh, assisted with our grants actually produced a result. And to be able to go back to Congress and say, we gave X country this amount of money and this is the result we've had from it. Uh, And we're now getting to the point where we can say those things. Uh, The Africa Command thing is very interesting. uh, And it's something we want to look in more aggressively uh, as that unfolds probably throughout 2008. Uh, our military presence is a very positive influence throughout the world uh, on many levels, not just in hard diplomacy, not just in the military, but also in terms of the number of programs they have in development assistance. And uh, we are looking to also work with them in those areas.
2: Let's go to the gen- gentleman in the back. Do you still have a question? Okay. You've been, you've been patient.
5: Shouldn't the gentleman addressed my question, but I have another one. Um, and that is uh, for MCC to be uh, proactive on a different track. There are countries uh, struggling with democracy, uh, uh, but they quite quite make it. it. Uh, But they have need on transportation, sectoral other education. Is there a different track for MCC in the future to develop, to actively engage these countries as they cannot stand up uh, to help them walk? But could you help them stand up?
3: Well, that, that is to a certain extent what our threshold program is all about. The threshold programs are usually two years. They're smaller in size. They usually uh, are targeted at corruption efforts, although in the case of Burkina, it was an education program for the 132 schools that I mentioned. Um, and the purpose of these threshold programs is to push countries over the threshold to make them fully compact, eligible, eligible for a full agreement with us, uh, with the money that we've given to improve indicator performance. As I've mentioned, usually that's Corruption, tax, fiscal responsibility. Uh, in the Americas, we have a fiscal, we have a special program in the in Paraguay, which has worked very well. It's a thirty-seven million, thirty-five million dollar program in Guyana. We have a seven million dollar program. Uh, we have approved a program with Peru of thirty-six million, uh, and we have other countries throughout the world who are part of this program, where we actually target certain areas, which we hope will improve and therefore make them eligible. But that's also. What I was indirectly referring to, where there are other forms of assistance that the U.S. government uh, provides, not just the MCC, that can address those specific questions.
2: Let's come back over here, uh, right here in the second row, either of you. <laughs> Why don't we just go back to back. We'll ask have both of your questions while the microphone's there. So if that's okay. Mm.
5: Thank you for your nice um, brief introduction of M. Um, I'm from the Middle East Institute, Solomon in O, You've emphasized how corruption indicator is important um, in making the government to be accountable. Um, what were the recent achievements made in Jordan? And do you think Simple Grant actually helps to fundamentally solve the problems underlying the corruption?
3: In In Jordan and in all of our threshold programs, Jordan is a threshold country. Uh, countries are undertaking efforts to move in the right direction to satisfy their indicator performance to be above the median. The Jordanian program is uh, primarily one focused on good government and actually the inclusion of women uh, in government, which is not necessarily something which is a foregone conclusion in Arab countries. Uh, There are certain levels of participation that we have required for democratic advancement of women in various municipal and regional elections and state elections and in fact in the last last election almost 250 women were elected to uh, I think the figure was 238 women were elected to positions uh, which is certainly a step in the right direction we, we want and of course Jordan wants to eventually become compact eligible to do that their indicator performance on all areas of weakness uh, will need to be improved and reach medium performance so both in response specifically and in general to your question. That's what the threshold programs are are targeted to do. And that's what we hope that our money in these areas will will eventually affect. I wanted to mention, by the way, with regards to this MCC effect that we're talking about, we have three countries, and I, I think I refer to them in my remarks, in Central America, Nicaragua, Honduras, and El Salvador. I was just in Nicaragua last week, and we went up to the two northern provinces of Leon and Shenandega which is a fairly significant geographically precise area of the country, uh, which we are targeting for MCC development assistance, those programs are already producing results in the natural cycle of things. By that, I mean Nicaragua was our fourth country. So it is now beginning to show results of the investments that have been made in the agricultural production and that type of thing. Uh, I went up to the north with President Ortega, not usually considered an ally of the United States. And uh, we went up to the north and viewed these projects. He had the benefit of going around a country fair before we spoke, before 6,000 people in the town square. And in the hour that it took to get around this town square, uh, it was filled with uh, various booths and stalls of people that had been recipients of MCC grants. And these were primarily farmers growing various uh, products and dairy producers and uh, people who would actually begun to receive the benefits of the MCC program, all of whom told them that their profitability had increased, their market access had increased, uh, their production had increased. God bless the United States. God bless the MCC. Please, can we continue with the MCC programs? They've really made a tremendous difference in our lives. This is an entirely Sandinista area, up in the north of Nicaragua. And in the speech, before 6,000 people, Ortega makes a usual speech of, 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes. And he concludes the speech by saying, long live the United States of America, which is a little (laughs) bit unusual, considering that it was Danny Ortega that said it. Uh, Viva los Estados Unidos. Uh, Now, it wasn't Hugo Chavez that said it. And it wasn't wasn't Fidel Castro that said it. Nevertheless, uh, the fact that we have a US government program that is producing results for the people of his country The fact that he acknowledges that there is an American program functioning in his country, which is the benefit to his people and a benefit to him, is certainly a step forward. Does it change things tectonically? Probably not. But it opens a window. It provides an alternative. Maybe, for some period of time to be determined, it gives us another means of approaching uh, countries with whom we have had difficult relationships. It all gets back to smart power uh, and, and producing results with American programs in unlikely places, such as Nicaragua.
2: Second question from here.
7: My name is Carmel Clavin. I'm also from the Middle East Institute. And I was curious, you said earlier that uh, you're encouraging governments to (coughs) support their people and consider what the best option is uh, for a program and what this means for microfinance and microcredit, especially considering that microfinance has been proven to improve the lives of women substantially and thus the economy?
3: Um, we at the MCC are big believers in microfinance. Many of our countries, Nicaragua included, uh, as well as Madagascar comes to mind, those two countries specifically. I've, in fact, President Reagan and I handed out 700 li- land titles uh, of what will be eventually 43,000 land titles in Nicaragua. I've done the same in Madagascar. It's very important. Ownership of land, the integrity, the empowerment of women specifically, uh, the security that women have especially in old age, that they actually own something in their own name, but before old age, the fact that they can use this as a form of economic empowerment for microfinancing to get a $500 loan from a microfinance institution and to use that loan to buy fertilizer or an ox or more land or whatever it may be uh, is extremely important. We have a number of examples where this is happening. Uh, I usually bring out an example of Justine in Madagascar who specifically has benefited from this program As she had four parcels of land, they became smaller and smaller as time went on. She now has clear entitlement of that land. She's used it to rehabilitate a room, to rent out, and to send her children to school. And it all goes on from the land titling, to the microfinance, to education, to health, to empowerment, to
2: economic development. We consider that to be very important. This gentleman back here in the middle. We'll get the the front row students before long.
6: My name is Young Kiyo, uh, political science uh, professor in Iowa, currently visiting Georgetown University Asian Studies Program. Now, uh, of the 16 targeted countries you mentioned... Uh,
2: Could you put the microphone just a little closer, okay. hoping that it might work oh, better? I'm sorry. A little closer to your mouth, okay. yeah. Just so Some can... of
6: them, like Indonesia. Yes. Located in Asia. But I'm more uh, curious as to whether your initiative uh, is targeting or plans to do so in the future to reach out countries like uh, burma mongolia vietnam and north korea now if not then uh, what kind of problems would you encounter in dealing with like uh, authoritarian country burma or even uh, north korea
7: We
3: have threshold agreements in Indonesia and the Philippines, and we have a full compact agreement with Mongolia already. The Mongolian agreement w- was signed by President Bush and President Inge Bayer in the White House three months ago. Uh, and it's a good agreement. I hope to be going out there in the summer and uh, when it warms up a little bit. <laughs> and uh, it's a very good program for economic development, primarily around the railroad, uh, which is the economic backbone of the country. There are some health characteristics to the Mongolian compact also. Uh, the Philippines has a $20 million threshold program which was supplemented by an additional $20 million from the Arroyo government, primarily attacking corruption. In, the, in Indonesia, we have, a, I think it's a $55 million program which is split between immunization efforts, particularly amongst children in the island areas, and also corruption efforts. So we have uh, engaged in Asia in two, two threshold and one uh, full compact agreement. Uh, as you know, in our ruling justly category, Uh, where our democratic government democracy indicators are lodged. Uh, Some of the countries you mentioned would not qualify because they are not democracies Uh, and uh, a country must adhere to 50 percent of the indicators. So if countries are democracies and have a good government uh, and are doing the right things for their people economically and socially a market economy, stimulating the market, or at least creating an, an environment where private enterprise and entrepreneurship can enter and thrive if they're doing the right social things for women, children, education, etc., then we can enter into into agreements with those countries.
2: Uh, This gentleman right here, first row, um, third row.
5: My name is uh, Daniel. I'm uh, a trade investment officer for the government of Southern Sudan Mission in Washington, D.C. Just in the context of the uh, the the thresholds. Of course, we have the Comprehensive Peace Agreement and Southern Sudan gets to vote 2011 to become an independent nation-state. We have two constitutions, two banks, two armies, two presidents, two vice presidents, and so on. So uh, what can MCC do in order to extend uh, developmental assistance to the government of Southern Sudan and or to uh, indigenous civil institutions that have partnership with other institutions that are trying to bring, you know, democratize the country and help the government uh, you know, meet the seventeen treasures sure.
3: you know as as, as, as worthy as, as the as southern Sudan uh, and the indigenous groups may be, we are mandated by Congress to deal only with those countries that comply with our indicators, so in the foreseeable future, the Southern Sudan, in the immediate future probably would not qualify because they would not be able to comply with the indicators least of all because there's no information on performance on those indicators in southern Sudan. Uh, in due course, I would hope that it would become possible for, for countries that have suffered so much to, to eventually become part of the MCC group. We don't. Also, we don't do agreements with individual groups, individual indigenous groups, again, as worthy as they may be, but only with government-to-government groups.
4: That's right. With, uh, MCC.
2: If
3: the country qualified, yes. yes, if a country qualifies, they are eligible to come to us with their proposal. So if they qualify, it's not a matter of MCC going to them and saying, you qualify and here's your proposal for you. It's a matter of us saying publishing, which we do in the, in the fall, here are the report cards from World Bank IMF, have Transparency, UNESCO, UNICEF, etc. here's the report card for all the countries that we assess, 100 and, 100 and, I don't know, 90, I think we come out with reports on. Uh, they're on the website, and when a country knows that it's eligible, the burden is then upon them to come to us with a proposal.
2: Okay, thank you. go uh, right here. <laughs> Very good to see you.
6: <laughs> Very nice to see you again, sir. Thank you. Carlos Capini, formerly uh, MCC. Um, I'm interested in the MOUs and public private partnerships and how. How they're being arranged? Mm-hmm. Um, is it an agreement for additional funding, matching funding? Are they uh, like DFID, for example, or an agreement with Africoms or Microsoft or the, any other partnerships that MCC is engaging with? Um, are they coming forth with expertise or talent? Or how are the partnerships being arranged? What are they bringing to the table, and and what are they actually bringing yeah. and putting into the field?
3: I mean, you've expressed it very well. We're working on all of those in all of those areas. It'll be a little bit how they, the Microsoft, for example, MOU is already in place. And uh, that is actually an an agreement between ourselves, PEPFAR, and USAID for cooperation with Microsoft. And we're working on uh, finding a way. I would like to actually do that. You mentioned one. Is it funding? Do you put up money? I'm trying. I don't think it would be correct for the MCC to enter into a joint venture with General Motors, or General Electric, or anybody else. I think we have a strong body of work with an MCC compact, which is stimulating certain sections of the economy. I think it's it's a, the burden of, of if I were a private businessman again, I would look at an MCC compact and find out where I could build on to that compact, whether it's roads, whether it's communities, whether it's health clinics, whether whatever, whether it's a factory, if I could position it strategically on a road that connected two or three countries that was right for regional and or international development. Uh, And that's where I think the private sector comes in. After our compact signings, previously, we have always had a public outreach event for the private sector, for private enterprise, where we've invited them into the MCC. And we've had good attendance, I mean, over over 100 people in all instances, where they've come in and we've been able to explain to them what our compact agreements are so that they would hopefully look at them and say, oh, well, here we can do this, here we can do that, here we can do whatever. What we are now doing is, it's not easy to do because we're a very small organization. We're only 300 people. We're trying to find a way to, and, and we say this publicly as much as we possibly can, so hopefully it will start to happen, to engage the private sector actually in compact creation so they can be involved in country in the beginning of these things so that they are aware, <coughs> uh, involved in actually the creation of the work that eventually comes to pass. Uh, with governments, with Diffit as well, for example, Uh, As I mentioned, we're probably going to come up with something that involves one or two, maybe more African countries, maybe one or two Central American countries, uh, where it could be a feasibility study that they would do for us or some additional work that we need done that they could do to take the burden of us paying for that off of us so that we could use that for our our money for another part of the program. Or it may well be if we have an agricultural program in in, um, in Ghana, for example, or an energy program, it's a small component, but nevertheless an energy program in Tanzania where we can say, well, this is what we're doing, but they need so much more in this area. Could you then marry on to our program and expand, extend, extrapolate it into something bigger and better?
2: <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Let's exactly. go back here.
4: Yes, hi, I'm Shannon Green from the State Department.
7: I'm wondering what you do in countries where you have a threshold program or a compact program when the situation rapidly deteriorates. I'm thinking Kenya right now. Like. Right, I know there's a (laughs) time lag with the indicators, so how do you reassess where you're at and either pull the plug on the program or use the program to get it back on track?
3: Um, This is a cause of concern for us. The countries that we are dealing with, whether they be threshold countries or compact countries, are trying very hard to be peaceful and prosperous and stable and sometimes don't have a strong foundation in any of those areas to build upon, but they're trying very hard to do so. Who would have ever guessed that what happened in Kenya uh, has come to pass? I mean, it was such a wonderful country in every respect. And uh, I think we all share a great sadness and sorrow for on every level, uh, certainly on a humanitarian level, but economically and politically, that what has transpired in. Kenya in the last month has has happened. Uh, We do have a threshold program in Kenya. It's a $12.9 million program with the Department of Health. It's uh, targeted at procurement to try and streamline and systematize the procurement processes in the Health Ministry. Uh, It is administered by USAID. All of our threshold programs are done by USAID uh, and done very well by them in close cooperation with us. We are, as uh, our other government agencies, closely Uh, (laughs) following uh, the situation as it evolves in Kenya and we hope that we do not have to uh, suspend Kenya from the program. Uh, I think it's just a matter of wait and see. There is hope that with Kofi Annan's commission, hope that things can proceed in the right direction. Uh, I know that's certainly the will of all the rest of us, meaning people in government of the United States as well as all the Europeans. Nobody wants to see Kenya fail and and evolve into a, a an unfortunate situation. So we are hoping that the situation will get better in Kenya, and that we do not have to come to the hard addressing of that matter. However, in any country where that does happen, we will
2: suspend them from our program and stop the expenditure of U.S. taxpayers' dollar, dollars. And so, if you're in a in a say a road project and you're and you've uh, you've, you've 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 graded but you haven't paved, the, they don't get the pavement. That's right. Uh, there will always there will be,
3: if this does come to pass, not in Kenya, but in, in a country, a compact or a threshold country, uh, there is always that dilemma of uh, what do you do if there is a serious policy reversal, or a coup d'etat, or an assassination, or the suspension of parliament uh, when you have a program that is in the process of implementation and has to be stopped. I, we would hope, we'd like to hope, that our MCC effect encourages a country not to go in that direction.
2: That. Yes, sir, right here on the aisle. Wait one second for the microphone, please.
1: Um, I'm Frank Dow from George Washington University, an old uh, international education. Hand. Those of us who've been struggling with education, as I have for about 30 years internationally with a variety of agencies, are was very conscious of the fact that agencies are quick to come up with money that is politically sensitive, but not quick to finish the job. When you deal with education, you're dealing with educational um, cycles. To what extent are you willing to continue paying into a promising project to make sure that it actually (coughs) achieves an impact, say an educational human Mm -hmm. development project? And to what extent are you um, limited by political pressures and otherwise? Because I have a feeling that if we go right back into uh, giving dollops of money on congressional cycles, To do projects that really don't finish but need to continue we're only going to fall back into the old trap which is really never getting the job done um, and throwing money around but never getting it done we're we're kind of making a money effect but not making a real effect and i'd like you to
3: come to my next hearing at congress and say exactly that i say it all the time at congressional meetings thank you thank you we need to have aid predictability we need to know that when we've committed to a project that we can finance it through to the end That's why we often have to explain to Congress, I think they get it, but sometimes choose to pretend they don't get it, that our money is committed to these countries. We need to have that money guaranteed so that the country knows as the projects go out, we can disperse it based upon performance, and that we can't go back to Congress every 365 days and ask for five, 10, 15, or 20 million dollars more to finish a project. Most of our educational programs are vocational training programs, so they are specifically targeted at a certain type of education. The Burkina program that I mentioned is really a thing of beauty. It's very simple. It's 132 schools. Uh, They're beautifully built. They have two or three classrooms, open open air, open windows, let's say, and accommodation for the teachers, which is very nice, uh, and a commissary, and even education for mothers, and a creche, and that type of thing. Uh, This was part of the threshold program, and in fact, they had not included it in their compact proposal, and it seemed a pity that having educated these young boys and girls, many for the first time, up to the third grade level, that it almost seemed blind not to get them up to the sixth grade level, so to speak, so at that point they would have a skill which they could actually use in a job, not just be able to read and write in a a rudimentary way. Uh, And in fact, uh, the the Burkinabe are including uh, an educational component to extend this 132 school foundation into a greater educational program. So, in that specific example, we are, again, these are not university programs, these are elementary school programs, but we are programs that help the poor. We are for the poorest of the poor in these countries, and that's where we start. Someday in the future, it would be nice to be able to extend that up to higher education levels. but at the moment, we're moving in the right direction and building on programs that we already have, uh, further funding programs that already exist.
2: The gentleman right uh, on the aisle as well. All right. I'm Harry Inman. I'm a lawyer. How do you monitor these programs?
3: We have regular reports from the two people that represent the MCC in country. We call them resident country directors who monitor the program on behalf of us in Washington. And then there is what we have uh, as an accountable entity. We don't, for example, give our money to the Ministry of Finance or to the National Treasury or to the government of any specific country, the Ministry of Development. We give it to let's call it a joint venture company, it's not exactly that, but it's an accountable entity that's set up between ourselves and the government. It has almost always government representatives on it, but also representatives of civil society, et cetera, who make the decisions regarding the implementation of these programs. Uh, it is their responsibility to be the uh, corporate operations department and make sure these programs roll out according to the proposals which were originally received. So. We have regular reports on them. Our RCDs are often observers, if not participants, in those meetings. Uh, and we are very much aware of reports that we get back from them, as well as from site visits that people in our office here in Washington make uh, in the field to see, how those, to see actually how those uh, specific countries are performing. So it's a, a fairly numerical process of seeing what actually has been done with regards to the procurements if the procurement processes have been correctly observed, if the fiscal agent is doing his job correctly, uh, if the contracts aren't written in the way that they're supposed to be written uh, and then executed in the way they're supposed to be executed so that we can distribute, disperse the money on that schedule. We, we to date, have had we've had impediments to progress. We've had congressional difficulties in a lot of our Congress, in, in legislative problems in in country where they need to pass certain laws and certain Things that need to get done, which have slowed things down. There have been some government changes uh, sometimes which have caused things to go slow, things to go more slowly than they otherwise would have. Uh, But generally, we're we're confident to date because we've had no hiccups on the monitoring evaluation that things are progressing well.
2: Let me do three more questions, uh, these three right here. This gentleman in the center, and then we'll go across the last two people.
7: Uh, Hi, Robert Krauss with QED Group. Spent most of the four years in Ukraine. Before that, Georgia worked 20 years ago with this fellow, Don Kirsch. Haven't seen him in 20 years. I <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad you brought us together. You both before. look great. I'd We're like sure. to ask about <laughs> private investment in infrastructure. Yeah. Now, during her first reign, Timoshenko brought together a group of German bankers back in 2005. They estimated $7 billion would be required to modernize the road system in Ukraine. Prior to that, when Giovanni was still alive, they estimated that it would cost $2 billion to build a road from Red Bridge to Poti. These are huge numbers. The conclusions that these expert groups came to was that there was no way to do these things without bringing in private investment. Now there are some vehicles build, operate, transfer, and BLT and boot and what have you. They're very difficult. They require some expertise. My question to MCC is Is it willing to work with local uh, countries to put together the expert groups that could bring in the big private money instead of just giving grant money for private infrastructure?
3: Yeah, absolutely. We look at the involvement of the private sector as our ultimate success, certainly in continuing the programs after we're gone. And in any case, prior to that, being involved in the execution of our programs. Uh, so at ground zero, we would like to see private, the private sector, private enterprise involved in this. I won't even begin to go into the complications of the Ukraine. You know them better than I do. We have struggled to move forward. And been, there's been one complication after another, government changes and one thing or another. I would hope that someday we will be able to enter into a full engagement with, with, with the Ukraine. Uh, but we need a lot more of demonstrable political will on their part uh, that they really are truly and honestly and genuinely committed to the MCC process, which is not easy, as I've mentioned, to move forward. But private sector engagement, private enterprise, we're all for it. We need it to be ultimately successful.
2: I think this gentleman on the aisle, and then we'll come over to you.
6: Hi, my name is Luis Corrales, I'm an international um, biodiversity um, consultant. My question is in regard to, actually I would like to make a very brief comment is that we know that the, the natural resource base is, uh, is the way in which a country can survive. When something happens to the natural resource base, poverty increases. Uh, one of the, the original concerns with the first uh, compacts uh, was precisely the lack of environmental indicators. Uh, yeah. We know that in countries, especially like sub-Saharan nations, uh, desertification is happening right now. In other parts of the mm-hmm. world, there is an increase in the in floods, and, and possibly yeah. about millions of refugees. Um, Katrina is everywhere, quite basically. Uh, one of the recommendations of the CIA is uh, yeah. a, a report, precisely to have the United States play uh, a, leading, a leadership role in environmental issues, like global climate change. How you see the relationship especially uh, um, uh, the work that MCC is doing and how the government can uh, learn from for instance now the requirements to have um, environmental indications in, indicators in the, in the process and mm-hmm. the United States going forward as a leader sure
3: we uh, actually am very proud to tell you I think you you've heard this the MCC has two indicators that address environmental, ecological matters. Uh, They were not there in the beginning, uh, and they needed to be there, and they need to be there now, and they are. We gave the countries, after approving them, it's a natural resources management index and a land access indicator. We gave countries a year to adjust to this, because we thought if we slap it onto our indicators immediately, many of them will not be able to pass the indicators. Uh, And so in this one-year transition period, countries put in place a number of pieces of legislation and reform so that they could comply with our environmental indicators. We think they're very important. Countries now think they're very important and the world thinks environmental indicators are very important. So we are part of that. Of our 17, two of our indicators are environmentally focused uh, and they're very important for the overall success of the MCC. We want a country to be uh, responsible for its development and for its long-term development, that also has to be environmentally responsive. So we are, we are there and we're responsive to it and, and dedicated to it. Thank you.
8: Hi, my name is San, I'm a fellow at the National Academy of Engineering. Uh, my question goes uh, regarding your 17 factor variables or the balance scorecard. kind of interested on it because I've been spending the last four years of my life on my doctoral research. I'm about to defend them and actually I developed a company success index model for manufacturing organizations looking into profit, productivity, efficiency, ergo uh, and safety and employee morale. And I end up with 64 facto variables. <laughs> so I'm kind of interested in knowing how can you how did you come out with just 17 to really help socially and economically speaking in these countries. What was the process? Did you interview many experts? Uh, now, the weights, are, you, are they equally important, the 17 of them? And then <laughs> if you have been able to validate your approach.
7: Good.
3: <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> You're right. It sounds 17. How simple can you be? You only have 17 indicators, and they sound what is a democracy indicator? In fact, if you look on our website, because I know you know this subject, I advise you to do so because I think you enjoy looking at it. But for those of you who might not enjoy looking at it, I'll tell you how it works. There are 17 (laughs) indicators, but below each one, there's subcategories of four, of eight, of 16, of 32. So maybe we have 600 indicators by the time you get up to the one that's called X. Uh, So it's a much more complicated process than that. The point you mentioned about weighting the indicators is a very interesting point. I've often thought of that myself. Isn't this more important than that? Isn't that more important than this? Our indicators are not weighted except that of our indicators, we have one indicator which you must pass, which is the corruption indicator. Otherwise, you must pass 50% in each category. So you end up with a report card that has three bands on it with different columns in it. And across the top, you'll see uh, either all green or all red or a combination of green and red. If it's green, you pass. If it's red, you don't pass in each specific category. The one you can't have a red in is corruption. If your corruption is red, you cannot be an MCC partner country. You can have other reds as long as it's not more than 50% in
2: each category, but they're not weighted. They're all equal. I think it's important to remember that uh, even God only tried 10. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. So. <laughs> uh, well, I, please, uh, please join me in thanking John for this really, I think, superb uh, discussion.
3: Thank you.